Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mystery Podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. And I'm Sarah. That's yes. right. <laughs> we have a guest host today, our friend Sarah. We've known Sarah for a long time. She also used to live in Boston, but now lives in D.C. and is a, a big Miss Fisher fan. So we invited her on the podcast. Mackenzie's friend Janet is watching right now for the first time. And I am just so like, I wish I could go back and watch this for the first time again. I actually wanted to read Janet's texts uh, on the yes. air. If you guys don't mind, because, yeah, I too am very jealous of her first time watch through. Um, so she actually sent me some screenshots, which just are pictures of like Jack and Franny with their faces really close together. <laughs> she says, what the fuck? They still haven't even kissed. What is wrong with them? It's literally hurting me. <laughs> Which, like, I remember that feeling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it was literally hurting me, too. Um, and then a little while later, she clearly had been watching it. And she just texted me at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning. They just waltzed, all caps, waltzed. And it was, like, the 20s version of a sex scene, but not so much as a kiss and only two episodes left. What the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I remember it well. I remember it well. Yep. Yep. Like getting to the the end of season three and realizing that there was just like there wasn't enough time left in the last episode. I was like, there is not enough time left. <laughs> when are they going to kiss? <laughs> um, do we have any housekeeping this week? Well, the movie is available in North America on Acorn TV. Um, but we promise we won't spoil the movie until it is available everywhere. Yes, and. We will be doing a full recap episode of the movie, so stay tuned for that. So today, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 5. Death and Hysteria. One of my favorites. It's a good one. Um, and I'd also like to note that this is the episode, um, or the murder method, that we got heckled for at during our live episode at the con over the summer. <laughs> we did! Um, we were making a lot of vibrator jokes, Um some might argue too many. I would argue just enough. <laughs> I just think if you're not here for vibrator jokes, then like, why, why are you here? Uh, I mean, the good news is, is that we can make them here and nobody can heckle us because they are not here and they just have to take it. That's true. That's true. Um, let me tell you, I am prepared to make a lot of vibrator jokes. <laughs> during oh, this yeah. Episode of the podcast because literally in this episode, a woman is murdered by a vibrator that is actually the plot of this episode it's like i think they were in the writer's room and somebody maybe like proposed it as a joke and then they just kept going with it and then finally they were like we have to record this episode because like it's too good i don't know but it almost seems like it's like too absurd but then because, they, like, really layered stuff in because they were just like, well, it's not really going to be enough of a provocative episode for there to just be a woman who dies by vibrator. So we'll also add in incest. Yes. <laughs> and that is how we will get season three done. <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes. Yeah. Because, Sarah, you said this one isn't based on a book because you've read a lot of the books. But well, you know, I, I've read a few of the books and I was looking at all the titles and they didn't seem to match up. And most of the titles match up with the episode that's based on them. Mm -hmm. And I had already even in my short reading, I haven't read actually that many. I had already read one book that I was like, I don't think that there's a, a episode of this book. And there are actually quite a few books where there is no episode. 
So there's more raw material. So why are we not getting a season four? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, and, and anyway, so there isn't a book for this one. And there isn't actually, I think, a book for most of the season three episodes. Mm. There's just no, no, they just made those ones up. <laughs> on the fly. Well, kudos Similar to what we may or may not be doing with some other things. <laughs> I wonder if they did that because they had to ratchet up the tension between Jack and Franny so much. And that is just like totally non-existent in the books. Well, Maybe. other stuff that's not happened or happened in the show, but didn't happen in the books. It, I think made it hard because, you know, I think Franny's sister is alive or she has another sister who's not dead in the books. And so obviously the big part of season one is that her sister was murdered and, this is a big driving force in her life and her sister's just alive in the books. So you can only use so much of the book material. If her sister is going to be a big part of one of the books and you can't really make a sh- an episode out of it. But then she like has a second daughter in the show. So it's not just Jane. There's like another kid and they're in some of the other books too. And so, I, I mean, I think maybe they just kind of took the character in a different direction. So some of the book material was just too, too divergent from what actually happened to hmm. be useful. Well, I didn't I really... from the books that I've read, the books have, like, like sometimes it feels like the show has a lot of elements, like, too many elements, but the books are even more like that, where it's like, there's so much going on, I'm sure they just had to edit out, like, portions of it to make it actually digestible television. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's true for most books that become even, mm-hmm. well, certainly books that become movies, and then also books that become TV shows, you have to cut out some of the other stuff but i thought there was some interesting stuff the show changed like in a, a not in this episode but in other episodes like how dot and franny met where i was like oh i actually like the show version a lot better like how do they meet more... in the books in the books she meets dot just like randomly dot seems to be trying to like attack these boys who'd done something to her i can't remember exactly it was a while ago i read this book it was and, in a and, restaurant so, or something, I think. It was, like, in some huh. big, like, park sort of arcade type thing, I think. I, I got the impression it was, like, a Pike Place Market type of situation. Yeah, that's what and, I remember, too. And so, but, in, you know, as opposed to in the shows where Dot is the maid at the house of her friend who right. his husband is murdered by her friend. And, and you're just like, oh, that's a very interesting, coincidental, but ultimately works out pretty well storyline and the other stuff is just like I just random they just met one day when she was out having a sandwich (laughs) (laughs) yeah I remember not liking that as much as the way it's done in the show either but I think the problem for me is that I just watched the show first instead Mm -hmm. of reading the books first but also like to me most of the appeal of the show is the plot between or the tension between Jack and Franny so because that's totally lacking in the books. So I was like, well, I'm not, I'm just not going to read these. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I also think that in the books, she's younger. Like I think in the mm-hmm. books, she's like in her twenties, late twenties, maybe, yeah. but not like a totally adult person. So there's something kind of different about the show where this person is not just your average 20 something lady character in a show. She's like an adult and I don't know. So I like it. I like that change in the show as well. Yeah, I do, too, because I feel like it it makes I don't know. She's like probably pushing 40, if not in her 40s. And she's still like very active, very like sexually active and like out there doing stuff. And it's just sort of 
I don't know. I feel like it's a very positive representation of someone who is not in their 20s. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a huge part of the appeal of it for a lot of people. And I think Mm -hmm. that's why there's such a huge fan base, because Mm -hmm. like older women and not even older, but just like women who aren't like ingenues, basically, you know, like every woman in media tends to be that ingenue character, just like younger, younger than 30 you know, so it's like a huge underserved market of like, because we don't expire, you know, like I'm still, I've, I'm 32, but I'm still alive. So I'm, I'm out yeah, there in the world. Wrinkles, wrinkles now, wrinkles. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I think we just appreciate seeing ourselves on screen represented. And this is but why I think it does explain why some of the timeline of the show doesn't make as much sense. Like when that artist episode where she was like after the war, she spent all this time in Paris, but then somehow it's still only 1928 and she's but somehow she's in her like late 30s, early 40s. And you're just like, this doesn't make any sense. But the timeline of the books, she's much younger, mm-hmm. I think. And so it fits with history. But I don't know, whatever. I'm willing to sacrifice a little reality for a more interesting character. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and this is what, see, I think this is why Ms. Fisher's modern murder mysteries would have been better if Bernie was the main character. <laughs> I have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways. But that's because I'm a bitter old hag now that I'm in my thirties. <laughs> um, okay. So should we get into it? Yeah. Well, so I like this one a lot just because I think it's the murder method is really funny and there's some like funny Jack and Franny moments. But overall, I think it's very confusing. <laughs> um, there's like too many suspects and murders. So that's my impression. But there's so many clues. It's wonderful. I think that's why I love it. <laughs> I love clues. <laughs> Sarah, what are your thoughts on this episode overall? Yeah, I agree. I kind of like the more campy fun, self-contained episodes compared to some of the long-running plot lines that happened earlier on in season one and two. And so I obviously laughed at this as well, thought it was a pretty good episode, uh, and liked that kind of attitude of it, just a little different and weird and offbeat. And I don't, you know, I really don't have a problem with the body counts kind of ratcheting up in this series. <laughs> I feel like maybe this podcast is a little hard on the multiple murder episodes, and it's fine. I'm fine with it. <laughs> to be maybe clear, I'm... I enjoy it when the when the body count starts, <laughs> when the bodies just start piling up, but the, I'm still going to make fun of it. Yeah, I just, like, it took me, like, three watches to understand what had happened. <laughs> But maybe I just am easily confused. No, I watched it twice, almost in a row. I watched it once, and my boyfriend watched it with me. And then he was like, I'm going to take a nap. And I was like, okay, that's good, because I'm about to watch this exact same thing again and actually take notes this time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I usually take notes. And then I I frequently have to watch it again to do my ratings and stuff. Because, yeah, I just, like, can't absorb it all in one watch through. And, I mean, obviously, I watched the whole thing previously in some of the episodes more than once. But... After we watched the movie, I did just start it all over again right after we logged off our chat <laughs> and then watched it again um, two nights ago. So The cold open, which I think I, I would argue it's not particularly cold because it features on Prudence. But anyway, cold open is a woman er, is a group of women in Grecian sort of dresses uh, doing some sort of organized dance on the lawn. Um, it's and, rhythmic dancing. Oh, is it, though? Because I've. I've done oh. that. <laughs> the, the 
the credits for the film, there's like a rhythmic dance instructor is okay. like the unnamed person. She's credited as the rhythmic. Gen- so, I mean, it's 1920s Australian rhythmic dancing. It could be a little different than what we experience in the 21st century in America. Mm-hmm. Wait, Mackenzie, well, I want to hear about the circumstances. Is this some like Western Massachusetts shit? Or what? No, it's <laughs> I did it during the single year of my life where I attended a Waldorf school. Or I think they're called in the U.S. They're mostly called like Steiner schools, Rudolf Steiner. Um, that was when I was studying abroad in Germany. So we did eurythmic dancing, or as it is called in German, "Eurythmie." me. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, I only did it for a year and those Waldorf kids do it for like 12 years. So I, there may be many iterations of it that I don't know, but it's uh, it's pretty weird. Did you have to yeah. wear a flowy, weird dress when you did it? No, but I think they make the little kids wear these, like, weird outfits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was, like, a live pianist who would play music while we did our dancing. So, like, this was, like, high budget, you know? He's like... Wow. Yeah. And the, there was the instructor and the, the woman who would play the piano. So... Wow. Yeah, I used to know how to do all of the uh, star signs in Year With Me. Like, because it, it's like... Uh, there's a lot of symbols and you do all the letters, which listeners can't see, but I'm, this is an M. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this is so like, yeah. She kind of looks like an animal that's kind of peeking up and looking for, it's just like treats, treats, treats. That's what the M looks like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we would like learn to do these like poems and we would like dance them out. And then I knew, yeah, I knew all the star signs and um, yeah, I don't know actually what the application of is it of, of it is, but well, here in the show, it seems to be therapeutic, and it looks very random. So I think maybe you're right that it, I don't know if it's actually your rhythmic dancing, but who I don't knows? Know. It probably is. The instructor is also wearing, like, this hideous khaki suit. <laughs> you guys notice that? It did not look very, like, conducive to dancing. But I didn't notice that. Um, the intro itself really, or this dancing sequence that they were doing, the outfits they were wearing, and the fact that they were dancing in a circle around this, like, central pole really reminded me of the intro to Outlander. You guys watched that show? Very similar mm-hmm. dancing, which I think is supposed to mean be, like, witches dancing. But anyway. <laughs> um, so then... Uh, Aunt P steps out onto her balcony to watch and is then approached by a man in a very intense double-breasted plaid three-piece suit. Um, And he wants to talk to her about the death of her son, Arthur. Um, She's not particularly willing to talk about it and kind of goes off in a huff. And then she's seen turning over a photograph of Arthur. And then one of the women, Betsy, leaves the dancing, runs up to her room, takes off her panties, and gets electrocuted by her own vibrator. Um, well, though, we don't see that it's a vibrator yet. That's true. Um, but it's and, suspicious. Indeed. Uh, and then Prudence, I guess, walks in on her twitching body. Um, yeah. So that's the cold open. Um, we also see a key piece of the plot is that when she leaves the dancing circle, another woman tries to follow her and she, like, tells her to go away and leave her alone. Yeah. So that we later find out is Jemima. Littleton. Yes. Um, so then, of course, Miss Fisher immediately arrives on the scene. Um, some of the women are crying in little groups. Uh, Aunt P explains that she has allowed Dr. Samuels to turn her house into a women's sanatorium. Um, and now she's overrun by women with nervous troubles. 
hate it when that happens. I hate it when my house is overrun with women with nervous troubles. Yeah, I mean, it's like you let one in and then all of a sudden every bedroom is filled. They all want to go on nature walks. All of a sudden you're in a sanatorium. (laughs) um, That Malden apartment I lived in, that was kind of basically a women's sanatorium. Um, okay, so next up, Miss Fisher heads upstairs, um, and her entrance to the crime scene is initially blocked by a strange constable, um, and the hat on him looks way more like a condom than it does on Hugh, or maybe I'm just more used to it on Hugh, I don't know, anyway, that's Wait, how does it look like a Honestly, condom? Honestly, they probably ratcheted it up just for this episode, you know, killing yeah. you with a vibrator, put condom-shaped hats on your constables, that was the move. <laughs> you don't think it looks like the reservoir tip, Genevieve? No, it's like it's like has a ridge on it. For her pleasure. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Um, so the constable doesn't want to let her in, but Jack is pleased to see her, lets her right in. Um and He says specifically Miss Fisher at last, which I'm just saying, this is like this is just Jack just so ready to work with Briny on this investigation. And I love it. I love it. It's true. Yeah. I mean, most of season three is like that. So mm-hmm. except for the first episode. But anyway, As um, moment, but. yeah. Um, so they quickly discover that the victim was rich, divorced and fried by her Hitachi magic wand. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Don't discover that until later. Um, but by a faulty appliance. I think Bryony, she doesn't let on, but I think she knows what it is the whole time. That's my guess. That's my guess. I don't know. She seems like so pleased when she works out what it is. So, (laughs) but she does like find the woman without her underwear. Like she picks up the woman's underwear. I don't know. I think. Yeah. Um. And then she also finds the end of a a man's tie pin. It's a clue. One of many. I. I really. I. This in this episode, I was like, this is ridiculous because. I, I lose an earring like once a year, you know, and these it's like these people are losing shit all the time. And if they I mean, statistically, you know, they couldn't be just losing them when they've just committed a murder. So they must be losing them all the time. And like, I, that's just unsustainable. Maybe in the 20s, people just dropped small pieces of clothing more often. Yeah, I think except the cost of consumer goods in the 20s was much higher than it is now. You could be your later on when Seth goes to give him back his like tie straight pin thingy he takes it back and it's like oh thank you i was looking for that so perhaps he like was look you know you lose things but then you don't go as many places and so you find them again Maybe. but here's my question is how did the tie pin end up in the room with the murdered woman because he just tampered with the device he yeah, wasn't he didn't, physically like, there yeah and we know that Perkins went back in. Perkins was the one who went and took the device out. So I don't think Edwards was ever even in the room. No, I think he was. I think he tampered with the device in the room. I think that it had been placed there for Betsy in the morning. And then there's a scene where you could see him sort of shaving away at the wires. Mm-hmm. And I think that was happening in Betsy's in, room. Okay, right. Because it was already in there. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But how do you lose your tie pin while you're like shade like tampering with it's a very inconvenient time to lose your tie pin the answer is plot development Mm. (laughs) (laughs) um final note on this scene faces inches apart oh they're just so franny like gets right up in jack's face and he's like i have a question for you and he says just one (laughs) (laughs) it's like 
sound like need, needlessly sexy. It's like, what? why? He's very inviting to her in this episode. Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, Anyways, her question is, where is the appliance? Yes. Where is the magic wand? Um, <laughs> so then on the other side of the door, Dot is searching around and scolds the new constable for missing a clue on the floor. Um, the constable claims that Hugh has gone fishing and maybe isn't coming back. And um, then Miss Fisher and Jack come out and the constable claims that he's really good at shorthand, but he gets left behind nevertheless as everyone else heads off to question the suspects. Because Miss Fisher has other qualities, of which we are all very aware, which is that Jack wants to bone her. <laughs> that is a distinct difference between Miss Fisher and this new constable. <laughs> that, but also, I have a question. Does that rubber glove that Dot finds a piece of ever come up again? No, it does not. <laughs> so that's just totally pointless. It wasn't really a clue. They're I, all wrong. I think it was a little bit of a clue that someone had deliberately carried off the appliance and had tried to protect themselves from known electrocution. Um, I hadn't <laughs> considered that. So yeah, that must be from Perkins. But again, how, how does the rubber glove like tear a little piece off to leave in the hallway? These people are just, they're, they're clue monsters. They're just throwing clues behind them in their wake. Indeed. Well, Indeed. if they, if they were better at committing crimes, they wouldn't have ended up in a penal colony. Oh, <laughs> Sick Australia burn. Ooh, <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> um, so then Dot heads off to speak to the unwell women. Um, and Miss Fisher and Jack go to interview the suspects up in Dr. Samuel's office. Um, so Jack and Franny are sitting down with the doctor and his buddy, the other doctor. My, my notes are a little... I should have gone back and filled in the name. So Dr. Samuels and Dr. Perkins. Um, and then his secretary, Harriet Edwards, arrives and is solicitously shuffled off by the doctor. Uh, and then her brother, a lawyer in a tacky pinstripe suit, arrives and is, I think, sort of suspiciously invited to remain. But ultimately, it kind of really is only to ratchet up tension, I think. I described him in my notes as suspiciously uptight. He just comes in and he just exudes like suspicion and just like he has a stick up his ass. That is like his whole vibe. Is that sort of common among lawyers, would you say? Yes. Sarah <laughs> is a lawyer. Yes, she's our resident lawyer. I can answer you all the questions about whether lawyers are annoying. Yes. Do lawyers frequently wear pinstriped suits? I think that that's not as common anymore. But it okay. it probably they all have a pinstripe suit. For example, I have a pinstripe suit. How many times have I worn it? Probably three. <laughs> so is it sort of like when you graduate law school, you get your diploma and a standard issue pinstripe suit? Is that like no, part that of would the deal? be too much to ask. Like the hundred thousand dollars in loans that I took out should cover the cost of one fucking pinstripe suit. <laughs> but sadly, no, I had to go buy that on my fucking own. <laughs> It's a travesty. It's a travesty. I know. I actually can't quite put my finger on what it is that I don't like about his suit. I think it's maybe just the width of the stripes, which probably was more fashionable back in the 20s, but now it just looks makes him look like a gangster, I think. 
I didn't even notice his suit that much, to be honest. I was so preoccupied with how slicked back his hair was. And see, again, this is not a man who just, like, randomly drops a tie pin. Exactly, because he's also, like, wearing a tie pin in this scene, isn't he? I thought he was. Yes, he has. Well, it's, it's a collar pin, which, like, does anyone, no one wears those anymore, right? I don't but know. That's what they found, right? Because what they found was one side of the screw to the collar pin in her room, and then at some point they find the other long, the other half of it where it's like a long bar that goes underneath the tie yeah man jewelry jewelry (laughs) (laughs) coincidentally that's the that's the name of my new line of men's jewelry (laughs) jewelry i'm announcing it now on the pod (laughs) this are you gonna sponsor the pod (laughs) yeah does not seem like the target market like the people who listen to our podcast (laughs) who are men who would buy jewelry just seems like there's no overlap I think you might consider another strategy. I don't want to offend anyone, but there do seem to be a lot of people who are into this show who have husbands that they force to dress up in 1920s outfits for various Miss Fisher related events. So, (laughs) yeah, but are those are those husbands listening to this podcast? I'm not sure. Probably not. Anyway, every lady needs a hobby. Brought to you by (laughs) Mullery.com. I wonder if that website's available and you just directed them to a porn link. <laughs> oh my god. Redirect a cat match. Oh, cat that's a great match. idea. Yeah. yeah. My 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 website that is just pictures of cats. Um Okay. So any and the, the URL is actually matchcats.com because cat match was taken. Oh um, <laughs> so um in this scene, uh, Jack and Franny are questioning Dr. Perkins and Dr. Samuels. So Perkins claims he was upstairs the whole morning and Harriet can verify that. Um, and I wrote down they're probably fucking, which turned out to be wrong. Um, and then Dr. Samuels claims he was right in his office doing some hypnosis with Aunt P. Um, and he will not discuss Betsy's condition because that's confidential. And it was a delicate feminine matter. Oh, I mean, it was. <laughs> So were they fucking? Is that the correct? Did Dr. Samuelson and Betsy Cohen have a thing? Because it was not what Dolores was talking about later. I mean, maybe Dolores was just I think, making it up, but. Yeah, I don't think we have any reason to believe that Dr. Samuels was getting it on with anyone in this. There were, but, yeah, there were a lot of clues that he was up to something like that, but I think ultimately it was just misdirection. Well, and they talk, yeah. so they talk about transference between jemima and betsy that jemima had like transferred her feelings for her mother onto betsy um but i looked up transference and it's interesting because really the main manifestation of that is like a patient transferring feelings onto their therapist of like romance or like their parent um and really we see way more of that in the show because a bunch of the patients have like think that dr samuels is interested in them or have romantic interest in dr samuels so <laughs> I think that's what's going on with Dolores. Yes. That's so weird that there's like a medical term for that when it's like if someone just patiently sits and listens to you talk about their problems, like does there need to be a medical term for the fact that like you would like develop affection for that person? Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, finally a friend listening to my troubles. I I don't know. It's like, well, for one thing, it's a it's a Freud was the one that like came up with this so you know it's in that vein of things but it 
it is like a psychological condition and like there's theories that serial killers like Ted Bundy exhibit transference and like Ted uh, like some people think that Ted Bundy had like an ex that rejected him and then so he like a lot of the women that he killed he was like transferring his rage from this his ex and that's why he like picked his victim so it is like a psychological theory but okay anyways I researched it for the show I'm so glad you did because I certainly didn't <laughs> I did research something else which will soon come up <laughs> great Oh, I, re- uh, I researched one thing, too. Hopefully it wasn't the same thing you guys looked up. I bet it was, but we could bring, <laughs> bring many perspectives. Um, from, all, right. all from Wikipedia. <laughs> yep. Well, mine's actually no, psychology I, today. <laughs> oh, then it's different because mine was not coming up on Wikipedia, so I had to do an even deeper Google dive. Okay. Ooh, I cannot wait to find out. Cannot wait. Okay. Um. So... No fear, we soon discover what the delicate feminine matter feminine matter was from the other hysterical women, um, namely Dolores. She's got the details. So Betsy apparently was consumed by lust. Um, <laughs> I know, right? I think what they're implying is that she's addicted to sex. Is that she's got a yeah, sex? I think, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, so that's why her husband left her and uh, also why Betsy and Jemima are always arguing, um, which I don't think actually makes sense um, because I don't think that is why they were arguing. I, I'm not sure. But um, also but Jemima wants Dolores to is well known for making things up, I think, is mm-hmm. what we're what we discussed earlier. And Dolores yeah. is like really wants attention of any kind and specifically sexual attention. So I think. Yeah, yeah I think you're right. And then when she says she needs to go be free in her room, what do we think that means? Masturbation, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Without a I doubt, agree. that's what it means. <laughs> I mean, her room does seem like and do it. I, I wrote that quote down. I need to be free now. And Dr. Samuelson has encouraged me to do it in my room. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but sure. Do, but do you guys recognize Dolores? No. Who is that? It does look familiar, but I thought it was just because I watched this episode so many times. Who is it? That's- so she's Shirley King in Miss um, Fisher's Modern Mysteries in the episode at the Cooking School, Season Murder. Whoa! Is it so? That's oh, that the yeah. white. Yeah. That's so funny. There's so many of those actors that are cycled yes. through both shows. I was looking at her and I was like, I think that this person makes another appearance. And then I went to IMDb and I was able to confirm my suspicions. Wow. Nice, nice, nice sleuthing. I could probably be a lady detective. I think you so. You definitely could. You definitely could. <laughs> um so now it's time for the delicate ear of a lady detective to question jemima um who says that she and betsy were best friends uh which i interpreted initially for the first half of the episode to mean that they were sleeping together but i don't think that's what it was um but it probably would have made more sense if that's what it was but it definitely was not what it was yeah it would have made a lot more sense and also it would have made more sense in terms of like the whole subplot where Jemima was supposed to be hysterical and like you know like if she had been a lesbian and her father had been like turning this into a psychological disorder like that I think that would have made more sense but anyway um yeah I agree rewrite that episode when we remake this plus max murder medical murder mysteries Mm -hmm. yeah and then in the end she won't go to Switzerland with Dr. Samuels but will be taken under Dr. Max wing and taken out to like many secret lesbian speakeasies you know Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's way more fun than her going with Dr. Samuels. Right? We would have been good at this, ladies. Why did we choose jobs that weren't writing TV shows? Ugh. Ugh. I ask myself that every day. <laughs> <laughs> if only it wasn't too late. At the age of 32, my whole life is over. 
basically. Yeah, again, bitter old hag. I just have to complain about how my life is now. There's no changing it. I'm now only fit for background roles. <laughs> um, so that is kind of all that Franny finds out because Jemima starts to freak out a little bit and then is immediately hustled off by Harriet. Who is wearing, and not to ruin my ratings, a horrid suit. It is so bad. Did you guys notice? It's so I did, bad. I did notice the suit. I noticed that the jacket itself had a dropped waist, which is a yes. little odd. Anyways, I hate it. Probably normal for the era. I don't know. Um. So then up next, Miss Fisher is out in the garden trying to question Aunt P., um, and apparently Jemima tried to push Betsy down the stairs once, um, which brings up my favorite line in the, the, well, second favorite line in the whole episode, which is your mind always goes to murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in this case, Aunt P is right because that probably wasn't an attempted murder. No, I don't think so. But Friday, of course, assumed that it was. Yeah. Although I will know that, that Prudence's mind went to how this she referred to this as the Ming vase incident because her Ming vase was almost ruined, which like, yeah, never mind that someone almost got like hurt. <laughs> it was really about the vase. Oh God. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't a Ming vase is like pretty valuable, right? Mm-hmm. I would assume more valuable than a human life. And <laughs> <laughs> it just depends on the human. Wow. Oof. Okay. Yes. I mean, we all got to make sacrifices for the economy. So, <laughs> Wow, oh. DJT over there. <laughs> um, so then Aunt Jane is just like pretty prickly about being questioned about what she's being treated for, et cetera, et cetera, which like she, I really feel like this is she's doing it well. Like she's adequately portraying the elderly lady aunt who really doesn't want to answer any questions about her medical problems. Thank you very much. Which like fair enough. Um, what I like to burn Sasserite, which, okay. This is the part of the episode I really don't understand. Has Friday tasked Bert and Sess with like helping Prudence through her grief? Because I like why? I think, I think she has, yeah. I also think just like spying on the um her and reporting back anything weird that's going on, like say a cult of psychoanalysts moving in with all of the patients to her home. <laughs> and so in which she's case, there. Bert and Sess have not done a good job of that because they did not report that to Friday. Yes. Well exactly. So- you're exactly right, because in the beginning, Franny says to Bert, you were supposed to be keeping her company. And Bert says, what do you call this? This house is full of women. And then Franny says, failing to keep me informed. So she has sent them to spy okay. and they've done a bad job. Um, but they I love in the scene where they tell Franny that um, Arthur. So Dr. Samuels was also treating Arthur and uh, Franny asked him, well, what was it? And they're like, oh, we know what it was. It was music therapy. And then Bert's like, yeah, we could have done that for free. <laughs> but I bet Dr. Samuels, like, charged a bunch of money for it. Yeah. Which I think is supposed to cast further suspicion on Dr. Samuels. But, like, ultimately that all amounts to nothing. And also music therapy is real therapy. So, <laughs> um, so then there's a quick interlude with Jack and Dot where they clarify that Hugh has in fact gone fishing and has sent some postcards. Um, and I think that the real reason behind this is probably that Hugh was filming something else, or Hugo, the actor was filming something else and there was scheduling conflicts, but I don't know that for sure. Anyway. I think it adds a little, a little drama to Dot and Hugh's relationship though. That's true. Um, 
So then they go off to the morgue where the burnt hand is examined and found to have also have all its fingers broken, um, probably when the vibrator was carried off. And then there's a very delightful conversation uh, about what kind of electrical massager is being sought and how exactly Jack knows about it. Uh, <laughs> it's so hilarious. It's so funny. I love this scene. <laughs> and like, it's so like sexually charged between Jack and Franny where she's like, um, have you seen one before? And he's like, yes, <laughs> all kinds of appliances. But I didn't know what the point of most of them was. And then Mac interjects and she's like, well, I have a friend who can enlighten you. And I'm like, does she mean Friday? I think she means Friday. She That's what I her. thought. Yeah. yeah. She looks at her when she says it. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. And um, that was my favorite scene of the whole thing oh, was yeah. when they're in that, they're just like really ratcheting it up, the jokes, the side <laughs> eyes. There's just like, yeah, there's like a lot of really good facial expressions too. Like just... <laughs> Like, Franny is so, so delighted, and Jack is so uncomfortable, and the constable is so confused, and Mac is just, like, ready to get out popcorn and watch it. So, I love that scene. Um, we also learn, less importantly than all of this hilarious description of, hilarious, like, diplomatic description of a vibrator, um, we learn that Mac knows of Dr. Samuels, and that he's been accused by the medical board of inappropriate behavior. But it's way less interesting. Right, yeah, it's so much less interesting that I forgot to write it down. <laughs> the electric massager. Yeah. Do you know? Do you guys ever like see the get those like old lady catalogs that are like signals or you know like the they have a lot of like image. cat t-shirts. Yeah, and then in the middle there's always like a, a section of massagers that are advertised as <laughs> massagers that are obviously vibrators. No? Am I, am I the only one that gets old lady catalogs? Well, there's a, like an episode of um, Sex in the City on this subject, though, that's like, uh, I think it is a sharper image store that Samantha goes to, and then yeah. she's like, all, yeah, all these women are like looking at the massagers, and she's like, well, don't get that one. Like, get this one, and this one will make you come so hard, and then like, Yeah. And then she puts one on Miranda's baby when the oscillating chair stops working to get the baby to stop crying. <laughs> I have not watched Sex in the City, so. Also, just buy a real vibrator. Like, they make ones that are meant for your badge. Like, just, just go buy one. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Imagine, like, the days before Amazon. And if you didn't want to go to a sex store, like, where are you going to get your vibrator? You're going to get it in the same catalog where you buy your, like, T-shirts with funny sayings on them and whimsical fairy figurines. Yeah, or Spencer's Gifts also carried vibrators. <laughs> well, yeah, but, like, <laughs> that's true. I'm just saying, not I wouldn't want to go into Spencer's Gifts. <laughs> I ordered my vibrator on Amazon. I'm just <laughs> saying what would happen before Amazon. That's true. That's true. Um, so then they head off to question the head of this medical board, um, Dr. Littleton, um, about the fact that he was kicked out of the doctor club for using the vibrator. Um, and Littleton insinuates that Samuels latches on to rich women to get at their money. And that, uh, also his daughter happens to be Jemima Littleton, a patient of Dr. Samuels, um, who was lured over there by Betsy and Jemima lost her mother at a young age and latches onto other people to compensate. Allegedly. Um, so he didn't get kicked off for the vibrator, though. Um, he gets kicked off because people were complaining about his tonics. Oh, right. And the we learned later. Yeah. We learned later. That this, 
uh, I was just going to say the vibrator was controversial, though, right? I mean, yes. it was part of the problem. Yeah. But doesn't the vibrator come later? Because it's actually Dr. Perkins mm-hmm. thing. And he kind of and Dr. Perkins says that he won't let him do the vibrator thing because he's just afraid of more controversy. <laughs> and uh, that kind of seems like maybe is it going to be a thing. And then it turns out not to be a thing. Yeah. As far as plot of the show. (laughs) I think you are correct. So then Miss Fisher heads back to Aunt Prudence's, uh, where she follows a trail of undergarments to find Dolores waiting naked in her room for Dr. Samuel. (laughs) Which is like such a weird thing. It doesn't really turn into anything. And Dolores insists that she like Betsy was hogging all the attention and now she thought she'd get some, but it's just all Harriet, which makes it seem like Samuel's is sleeping with all his patients, which never plays out. So I don't think that any of that was real. Yeah, again, I think this is Dolores like imagining all that or like, yeah. But, you know, respect to Dolores for just sort of standing in the doorway naked. (laughs) I love the scene. Anyways, we'll talk about it when we get to it. But the scene later is hilarious. Oh, yeah. Um, so then Miss Fisher takes the opportunity to sneak around a bit, uh, in Dr. Samuel's office where she finds, uh, weirdly, I, I don't ever quite understand what this means, but she finds a framed photo of him wrapped in a handkerchief. Um, it's Harriet. Okay. So Harriet's like in love with Dr. Samuel's or? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Definitely. So, um, she is trying to steal some files uh, when Dot comes in to warn her that Eurythmics dancing will be over soon. Um, and then they find a fern leaf on the floor. Um, and so they go off to the garden to find this plant that matches the fern leaf. Uh, which Again, is, a, a very conveniently placed clue that like... Yeah, it's also, it doesn't make, I mean, that fern leaf could come from anywhere. You know, it's just like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. I also just don't, like, when they find the fern, it's in a pot, and they just move it. Like, where, how and where did the fern leaf become detached and, like, attached to someone's clothing and then conveniently detached in the office? It makes no sense. (laughs) Also, Perkins took the vibrator from Betsy's room to hide it behind this fern. I I don't think he went into Samuel's office. Like, I don't know. Um, Well, but guys, do you you feel like... um... Ronaldo, the rodeo writer, is the love interest of this episode because otherwise there isn't another like side piece for Franny. <laughs> You're so that, right. I didn't even that, think of that. That is true. That is true. Um, that is like my maybe my third favorite scene in the show where we talk about Ronaldo, the rodeo writer. <laughs> that is so funny. Oh my goodness, it's so funny. Yeah, so they find the professor and Dot is like, "What is it?" And then Miss um, Fisher has to explain. So, <laughs> but I like that she doesn't explain like, oh, you know, I have one of these, which one would assume she has, but and that at some point Dot would have accidentally seen. She explains having sex, and then it's like, so this is well, you can how you can have sex by yourself, and you're just like, why did we have to go through that whole story? Why do you not have a like a vibrator? Why has Dot not seen your vibrator? <laughs> also, so is it like, anyways? <laughs> Never mind. Well, so I think she doesn't have one because when they're talking about when they're in the morgue, when they're talking about it, she says to Jack, do you know what it looks like? And it's like she doesn't know. And then when she sees it, she's so pleased. So I think she's never seen one. Like, I think they might be kind of hard to get your hands on them, you know? Right. And I guess it is like like Perkins is going for a patent. So it's like his invention. So it's not like they're on the market yet. So I guess it would make sense that she wouldn't have one. Although if the brothel has a bunch of devices, like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
I'm also curious, what was Ronaldo the rodeo rider doing to her? <laughs> That's a great question, too. One that, because they haven't made that episode, I don't know why. <laughs> Oof. Do, know. do you think it was a murder at the rodeo? Oh, Obviously. I'd sort. love to watch that. I'd love I to watch it. I hope she went undercover, you know? Just like yes. the, all the circus episodes. Do we have two circus episodes and no rodeo episodes? No rodeo episodes. Deeply upsetting. I'm starting yeah. an online petition for a rodeo episode. Yeah, we need <laughs> to meet this Ronaldo the rodeo rider. <laughs> I would love to. Maybe in the next movie, which hopefully they make. Please, yeah. please make another movie. <clears throat> um. So then in the next scene, Dr. Perkins gets hauled down to the station for questioning and admits that he did move the professor from the crime scene. Unclear why he did that, because he was not he was maybe protecting himself, but maybe someone else. Well, so he doesn't want his device to be implicated in this murder. Yes. Um, and, and then, yeah, it, it's confusing where they're, like, they're trying to make it seem like he's protecting Samuels, but maybe that's just, like, because Samuels is already in hot water with the medical board, and they had probably told the medical board that they stopped using the precursor, and now suddenly it's, like, killing someone, so. Yeah, but ultimately, it really is just him protecting himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, up next, they Oh, question- wait, sorry. We also find out that um, Betsy had pledged $20,000 in her bequest to the practice. So it seems like, oh, maybe that's why he's protecting Samuels, because he knew about the bequest, although he says he doesn't know about the bequest. I don't know. <laughs> that's an incredibly large amount of money. I didn't, I converted the amount of Aunt Prudence's donation which was a thousand pounds which in today's american dollars is close to twenty six thousand dollars so um that's a lot (laughs) um anyway just an aside there although honestly for someone of prudence's wealth if it's like a planned gift in a bequest it's actually not that much even today but she didn't prudence didn't give it she just gave it to them randomly oh yeah so it's just an outright donation that makes sense yeah yeah but so I guess, I mean, that means the exchange rate there, or, you know, the inflation rate and also the exchange to American dollars, it's like 260 times. So 260 times 20,000 is a lot of money. But I guess, you know, for a bequest, maybe it's not too crazy. Um, well, so anyway, um, they're questioning Dr. Samuels at the station. Um, and while they're doing this, Franny is just putting her hands all over the percussor. <laughs> Which is kind of gross because she's wearing gloves, but they're fishnet gloves. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. No, I didn't think about <laughs> That's that. That's so funny. Unfort- and she like knows what it does. And you know, she's just, and that just like somebody died by electrocution from touching that. So also there's that grossness there. <laughs> she's just very curious. She wants to know how it works, what it looks like, where she can get one. Although, I'm not sure, after seeing, even if you knew it had been deliberately tampered with, if you knew it had been used to commit a murder, like, would you just go out and buy one? I don't know. Yeah, probably not. Well, that's why he took it and hid it and covered it up, because he knew that would hurt his vibrator sales. Mm -hmm. He's a shrewd businessman, not a murderer. (laughs) He just wanted women everywhere to have access to a vibrator, and by God, I respect that. (laughs) Slow clap. In the background. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hero. Um, 
Also, I just, I mean, it is really funny to watch her do that, though, because, like, at this time in our lives, I think we're all extra super cautious and thinking constantly about, like, where things have been and which bodily fluids have been on them. So it's, like, it's just, like, super grossed me out, you know, because I'm, like, washing my hands 15 times a day yeah. right now. You're like, don't touch it, Friday. Friday has coronavirus on it. Yeah. Um, well, so anyway, um, Dr. Samuels claims that the percussor was locked up in his medicine cabinet and only he and Perkins had the keys. Um, and Dr. Samuels claimed that they stopped using it because it had limited use. And but actually, it's because of the controversy. Um, and it only then, offered symptomatic relief. <laughs> I mean, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. Is that not relief? I don't understand, <laughs> yeah. doctor. What kind of medical school did you go to? um well so i did that was my research was i researched the percussor and it didn't come up on wikipedia so i'm thinking maybe we did actually look up the same thing was that also what you googled okay so let me see if i still uh, i had an article open that i was going to read from where did it go i know it's going to take me forever to edit um okay so um the Percussor uh, has been around, or sort of the idea of a vibrator has been around for hundreds of years. Um, but this article from Psychology Today, a reputable source, I'm sure, says um, women's sexual pleasure was the furthest thing from the minds of the male doctors who invented vibrators almost two centuries ago. They were interested in a labor-saving device to spare their hands the fatigue they developed, giving hand jobs, which is interesting use of the word hand job, um, to a steady stream of 19th century ladies who suffered from, quote, hysteria, a vaguely defined ailment easily recognizable today as sexual frustration. Uh, so I don't Wait, know. Sorry, so the doctors were giving their patient hand jobs. <laughs> That's what this article says. <laughs> why wouldn't you just like? Why wouldn't you just prescribe masturbation? I don't understand. Because that would have made hair grow on the palms of their hands and potentially cause them to go blind. So obviously that was <laughs> a bad idea. <laughs> uh, so this sort of came up in the book I've been reading that we were talking about before we started, but the Greek word for uterus was like history or hysteris or something like along the line. So the word hysteria just comes from the Greek word for uterus. So like basically having a uterus made you crazy, according to the people that took Greek and made it English. (laughs) How wrong they were. I think all of the current evidence points to the fact that having a dick makes you crazy, but I mean, whatever. There's a lot of evidence to support that. (laughs) yeah um so that was basically the research i did on the percussor uh i wanted to look up more but obviously i failed um (laughs) yeah (laughs) anyways wow all right well basically it was a, a socially acceptable treatment for this like hysteria which was in some cases actually just like you know women being aroused I mean, I looked up hysteria, and <laughs> so it, it, it was just, like, used to kind of, it was used as a diagnosis for anything that was wrong with women, like anxiety, or nervousness, or insomnia, or heaviness in the abdomen, or irritability, and it just seems like it was, like, everything. Yeah, like a catch-all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so doctors, I guess, just used... 
I mean, initially, like, just erotic massage is what this article calls it. Um, and then, you know, that is probably tiring. So the percussor was invented so that they didn't have to do it themselves, I guess. <laughs> and now we don't even need them anymore because we've got vibrators. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> so this article is too much. It's like hysteria treatment had a downside. Achy, cramped fingers and hands from all that massage. <laughs> doctors lamented that treating hysterics taxed their physical endurance (laughs) chronic hand fatigue meant that some doctors had trouble maintaining the treatment long enough to produce the desired result (laughs) (laughs) Uh, everything about this article is amazing I don't know what you're talking about (laughs) also like yeah it would take a long time if like your doctor was like that's just so weird like that's the least like sexy scenario you can think of yeah i mean other than the fact that there's probably a lot of pornos dedicated to this topic of like oh are you uh you're experiencing some symptoms perhaps i can help you relieve those symptoms (laughs) but if it was dr samuels no (laughs) (laughs) like that would just take a a long time to work yeah depending on the doctor you know yeah (laughs) um all right well that's uh that's all I have for that scene. Um, oh, actually not. That's not true. Uh, so then Miss Fisher brings up the empty files, uh, including um, for Victoria Broadford, which we'll get into in the next scene. But um, unfortunately, Samuels is saved by the bell when his lawyer arrives uh, and angrily shuffles him off. Yes. Such a good actor. Like, <laughs> not the actor himself, like, I mean, maybe he was fine, but just like he is like doing a good job of being outraged and pretending like he doesn't know exactly what the fuck happened. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even think of that, you know, like he committed the murder and he's outraged that his client has been arrested for the murder that he committed. Yeah. Well, he's not really acting. He knows the guy's innocent. So he's outraged that they're suspecting him. He knows exactly who did it. He doesn't care. He's also a lawyer. What does he care? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so then it's back to the morgue, or not, they're not to the morgue, but a discussion with Mac. Um, so yeah, so Victoria Broadford's file is missing, and we learn that her family requested for legal reasons, so they go to see if Mac can find out more, and Mac does find out more, and I just have to comment that when they go back to the morgue, she's in her tweed jacket and ascot, and she is not in her coroner's garb, which is was I was delighted to, to see. Thank God. The writers must have been listening to our podcast and listened to our pleas. Um, you do realize that this was <laughs> before our podcast. No, that still happened. It's still exactly like Mackenzie said. Okay. You're getting you're getting caught up in the details again, Genevieve. <laughs> <laughs> it must be my my hysteria. Probably. Me. Yeah. Um so Mac informs them she like pulls the file on. Um, Victoria's, I don't know how she has access to this, but it must be like the inquest into Victoria's death, but her family thought that she was deliberately poisoned by homeopathic preparation. So her file is missing because there's this ongoing lawsuit about a wrongful death. Um, however, the coroner failed to find grounds to arrest Samuels, and I don't know that we ever actually determined what happened to Victoria Broadford. So. Yeah, that's in my notes too. We just never really find out yeah. what the deal is. But, um, so they're discussing this, and in, come, in comes uh, Mr. Eager Constable. The, he's very eager to prove himself. 
Um, and he informs them that Dr. Samuels brought charges of assault against a member of the Broadford family who had accused him of hoodwinking Victoria into changing her will. So it seems like really the issue with the family is that um, Victoria changed her will to leave a bunch of money to Samuels. So then Phryne assigns Dot to work with the eager constable, um, but he very snootily informs her that he won't be requiring her help. And then Mac overhears it and it's like, it's men like that to make the rest of them look reasonable, which I think is a great line. <laughs> also demonstrating the need for inventions like the percussor. <laughs> it's Definitely. men like that, that demonstrate the need for the percussor. Definitely. Um, so then back at Aunt Prudence's, uh, Franny and Dot are talking to Harriet and she has a pair of lovebirds, um, which were given to her as a special gift, which they're like, oh, that's so romantic. And like, oh, this is just gross. It's just gross. <laughs> it is gross. Do you, think the love, do you think those lovebirds are from the same clutch? They're, they're sibling birds? Oh, probably. <laughs> gross. <laughs> it would be a better, really on the nose gift. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> um. So... Then Harriet is showing Phryne the, like, accounting books for the practice, um, and she's like, oh, Dr. Samuels, he's a utopian. Like, he doesn't charge for any of it. Um, he runs the practice solely on donations, but then uh, Phryne's looking through, and these are, like, sizable donations, and um, she's like, well, who's who's asking for these donations? And Harriet's like, no one. They do it of their own to show their appreciation, which, like, I wish, you know, as someone who works in fundraising, if only it was that easy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, it seems like someone was encouraging those donations. Well, maybe, um, you're not, maybe you're not using the right tactics, Genevieve. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> have you brought any electric devices to any no. of the meeting? Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. Nope. All right. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, Harriet tells Franny that the money that they raise is held in a bank at the bank in a security deposit box and only she has the key to it. Um, and this is where we learn that Victoria Broadford has bequeathed her, actually her entire estate to the practice, probably why her family's a little angry about that. Um, and then this is also where we learn that Prudence has pledged a thousand pounds to the practice too. So, um, Friday goes to ask Prudence about that donation and about this hypnosis that Samuels was performing on her. And Prudence is very huffy and does not want to tell Friday anything about it, which I like is sort of fair. Yeah, I guess her finances and her, uh, you know, visits with her therapist do seem like they would be sensitive topics. Yeah, like maybe just something that she wanted to keep to herself. But Friday <laughs> is, as you know, Friday does not want anyone to keep anything to themselves. She's like a dog with a bone. <laughs> Um, so this is also cut short when there's yelling heard outside. And, <gasps> yelling. Yes. And so we head out and discover that Wilbur Littleton, um, the medical board guy is, and Jemima's father is trying to, has come to remove Jemima and literally comes to blows with Samuels over this attempt. <laughs> and I love that Friday comes out and like gets in between the two of these men that are like literally have their fists up and she's like, no, 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 no. Um, and as she's breaking up the fight, Jack arrives. Um, and then this is like the, the best scene in the whole show or in the whole episode <laughs> where Dolores is like, well, you know, if you don't stop right now, I'm going to take all my clothes off in the driveway. <laughs> Which is like, okay, okay. She clearly um, needs, you know, no excuse to do this anyway. <laughs> she's like, oh, an opportunity to use my skills. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think she actually cared about, like, Jemima or her father or anything. She's just like, oh, there's drama. Let me add to it by threatening to strip myself naked. <laughs> um, but then Phryne and Prudence offered to join her, which is so funny. When Prudence gets into it, I'm just like, all right, this is, this is hilarious. <laughs> and then they sort of pan out and Prudence has sort of hiked up her skirt, like, as if she's preparing to just pull that dress off right over her head. <laughs> I would have expected her to start with a shoe or a stocking or something, nope. but ready to go. <laughs> um, and what I anyway, so this for some reason convinces Littleton to give up. <laughs> um, and what I love best about this scene is that Jack is holding Franny's hat. Like she hands him her hat. <laughs> just like standing there holding her hat. <laughs> and then but then Jack says, I should have known better than to underestimate the power of the feminine, which is weird because it's like did he underestimate it? Like, did he ever say, like, oh, it'll never work. Leave your clothes on. <laughs> also, yeah, it just seems, like, really passive throughout the rest of the scene. As it, So I, it makes me also wonder if there was something else that happened that got cut. Mm, that's, oh, a, that's a good point. I have a lot of questions like that in the latter half of this episode where I'm like, why is there something missing? Hmm. Hmm. That could explain why I was so confused for so much of it. <laughs> Like, what else did you feel like was missing? So when we're kind of going ahead to the next scene and he is talking, Dr. Samuelson is talking to Franny. Maybe it's not the next scene, but at some point after this, when they're talking, he is explaining like, oh, well, you know, something about a hysterectomy. Like, basically, if you kind of piece it all together, he's saying that Jemima's father was trying to haul her off to have a hysterectomy. But they never like that never comes out on screen. It just is like mm-hmm. talked talked about later. So I feel like maybe they just couldn't get it to fit in, and so it ended up getting scrapped. And then they just kind of allude to it in these later scenes. And you're just like, well, wait a second. Did when did he find out that she he was trying to cart her off to have a hysterectomy? And so right because what Littleton says when like Franny first meets him is. That, like, Betsy convinced Jemima to go be treated by Dr. Samuels. But, yeah, we never actually, I don't know, but maybe it's just, like, he's, that's his version of the story and he's not talking about the hysterectomy. Because, yeah, in the next scene, Samuels says that Jemima came to him because a gynecologist had recommended a hysterectomy and that's what a lot of the women are facing um, because they've all been diagnosed with female hysteria and then Franny's like, but what about Aunt Prudence? And he's like, well, no, not her. She just needs to confront her grief. So Fair. Yeah. Um, and then we get a brief scene of Bert and Sess um, trying to do some grief counseling with Prudence. Um, and Bert has apparently knows that she has insomnia and is wandering the halls, kind of talking about Arthur. And she's very defensive and doesn't want to, again, doesn't want to talk about it and definitely doesn't want him to tell Franny um about that and then Bert um Bert says something kind of touching about how he lost a lot of mates during the war and acting like they never existed is is no way to to grieve them so um yeah I thought that was a cute little scene yeah yeah I think we get a lot of Bert's like softer side during this episode because he really wants to help Aunt Prudence that's true um, and then we see Perkins getting the ladies ready for a nature walk. If you know what I mean? <laughs> They're pretty dressed up for it, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, 
And then Jack and Franny do a little faces close together recap of where they are so far in the case. Um, and they're arm in arm. Like she's yeah. got her arm. She's got her hand in his arm. It's a very intimate pose for being in like they're just surrounded by other people. But indeed, uh, no complaints about that. And then Franny is expressing her suspicions of Harriet, who then very suspiciously appears right at that moment, clutching an enormously large bag and tells Perkins, I'm not feeling well. And sort of like, please, the scene very suspiciously. Extremely uh, suspicious. Yeah. And the, the bag is just like clutching this enormous carpet bag that is like obviously full of cash. Anyways. Um, so Franny stalks after Harriet and sees her. She is peeking through the door and sees her transfer whatever's in the bag into a pillow. And then she, crumples up a piece of paper and throws it away and then locks leaves and locks the door. Um, but a locked door never stopped Franny, so <laughs> she picks the lock and heads in to see what was in that pillowcase. And it is, in fact, a large sack of cash. So this, I also think, is a spot where I was confused and felt like something was missing because it's like she finds this letter on the floor that's written in like invisible ink or something and then all they pick up from the letter is that it has the word patent on it and it's like I, I don't know it's just it's like is she leaving the letter for Dr. Samuels like who wrote the letter like it, and why'd she leave it on the floor I don't know it's confusing to me or is that what she ripped out of the account book I, I don't know so my theory on this and again maybe this is to Sarah's point about there being missing links so I interpret that as what she takes back and Mr. Butler is trying to read is like the blotting paper on the desk mm. and like Harriet ripped up what was on the blotting paper and then um, Bryony takes the blotting paper, but they don't really tie that together. I'm just sort of like extrapolating my mind because that would explain why they're having to like decipher it with a flashlight, but they don't really ever talk about where that comes from. Yeah. <clears throat> um, confusing. And they don't, I don't think they show her picking that up, or do they? They show her finding the key taped under the desk with wax they, on it. They do show her pick it up. Yeah, I noticed okay. that on my second watch through. So is it a letter or is it blotting paper? Because yeah, um, they... I think it was something like that. Because I thought maybe it was also like a typewriter ribbon or something because it was so straight. But mm -hmm. it was some sort of like carbon copy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it clearly has a lot more written on it when you see later Mr. Butler, like, shining the light on it. it, it it's like a full letter. Yeah. I don't know. But anyways, whatever it is, it has the word patent on it, which obviously for Friday means that Perkins was seeking a patent for his percussor because it's the only possible explanation for this random piece of paper that is not really explained. Yeah. Um, so then they bring Harriet in for questioning about all of this and they show her the copied key that they found under Mr. Perkins' desk. Um, so she explains that some money had gone missing from the safe deposit box and she was trying to keep the rest safe, which is why she brought it and hid it in a pillow. Um, so this is where we kind of piece together that Perkins had made the wax mold to get cash out of the safe deposit box so that he could, um, try to get a patent for his device because he was trying to like get it on the market. But Samuels didn't agree that he should do that. <clears throat> they don't ever it, explain why Perkins didn't or Samuels didn't want it on the market. I don't Maybe just cause it was like getting him in hot water with the medical board. I don't know. Yeah. It's also like, why did Perkins leave his copy of the key taped to the underside of the desk? Was that so that he would never be caught with the key on him? It was it so seemed... fine. He could find it for the Oh, of course. Yeah. How did I miss clue. that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Um, so then they bring Perkins in for questioning and he gets really defensive and is like, we're sitting on a gold mine. She wasn't wrong. I mean, he wasn't it's wrong. True. It's um, true. He was probably wrong to like tamper with the evidence of a literal murder, but, um, anyways, they kind of confront him and, and accuse him of murder of committing the murder because of the money from the bequest. And he's like, I didn't know about the bequest. I was just trying to like get the the device out of off the murder scene for my own economic interests. So cool guy. Um, so then Littleton shows up um, at Aunt Prudence's with an official paper to shut down Samuel's practice um, and tells him that he's been struck off the medical board so he can no longer practice medicine. And then Harriet is like, oh, no. And she, like, is is reacting to it. And her brother goes to comfort her. And she just, like, absolutely, like, smacks his hand away. And Phryne notices it. And this is a classic scene in the in the, in the the episode where Phryne is, has finally figured it out. Because she sees Indeed. She knows. She knows all at this point. Um, and then she, Harriet, turns to Samuels. Um, and I just, how is everyone so in love with this guy? <laughs> like, I don't get it. Yeah, it's it's weird. Maybe it's because in the 20s, finding a man who would just sit and listen to you was very rare, you know? That must be it. That's <laughs> probably right. <laughs> listen to your troubles, encourage you to masturbate. I mean, those those men must have been few and far between. Hypnotize you? That seemed like his particular skill. Mm, <laughs> yeah. You know, really, he's one to chide uh, Perkins for making a vibrator when he's literally hypnotizing people as a form yeah. of therapy. <laughs> yeah. And that I feel like is also just, it, it's a just a total plot device to make him number one, seem suspicious. And number two, to like allow him to extract information from people without them maybe knowing that he's doing it. Yeah. It doesn't seem great. I wasn't that impressed with Samuels, even though he ends up not being like technically a bad guy at the end. I'm like, yeah, but like, was he really ethical? I don't know. Were any of those kinds of doctors ethical back then? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't know. I don't know. Um, so then next up, Harriet goes back to her office and finds that her birds have been killed. Um, so she kind of, for lack of a better word, becomes hysterical. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Samuels is comes in and is trying to calm her down. And she's just yelling. And she's like, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you something. And then he just, like, hypnotizes her instantaneously, which we learned about this at Miss Fisher Con. And I'm pretty sure this is um, in that session about kind of psychology and specifically this episode. I'm yeah. pretty sure this is what the presenter said was just, like, completely unrealistic that you would be able to hypnotize someone, like, this fast and like that. Like, it's just not how hypnosis works, but... Yeah. Um, it works in this scene where he just, like, basically hypnotizes her instantaneously before she is able to say what she has to tell him. Um, Which would have been really helpful for him if he had just let her say her piece instead of yeah. shutting her up. Yeah, Again, he just... How good of a psychologist is he? He well, has he not figured it. out what's wrong with her. He does it twice in this episode because, like, he stops Jemima also from telling them the whole story. Ugh, whatever. Useless. Useless. We are not. We are decidedly not Team Samuelson. No. Um, so after he hypnotizes her, Prudence rushes in um, to say that, quick, it's Jemima. She's up on the roof threatening to jump um and we learn later i think this is the moment when it gives edwards the chance to poison the draft 
of this distraction allows Edwards to poison the, the draft for Harriet. Um, so Jemima's up on the roof uh, saying that Samuels has abandoned her. Again, what is with this guy? I don't understand it anyways. Um, and so Friday gets up on the roof, grabs her right as she's about to fall, and then kind of talks talks her through um, this. And I'll just note that she's barefoot in the scene, which is a nice touch because I think it would have been absolutely ridiculous if she had been wearing heels. <laughs> well, Jemima is wearing heels and she like trips on them. Yeah. So, so I guess that was sort of her aim when she went up there. So um, So Jemima says that she told Betsy something terrible and that someone killed Betsy for it um, and that it's all her fault that Betsy died. Um, and she had promised Betsy she'd keep quiet. And then Jemima also tells Phryne that Harriet is the one who gave Betsy the precursor because um, she knew things about Harriet and was basically blackmailing her to get the precursor. But then Jemima's like, I can't remember what it was because Jemima is only focusing on happy memories as we learned earlier. <laughs> but then she does say that she watched. Well, she she does say that she can remember what it is, right? Because she says that Be- Betsy said that she saw Harriet with a man in the bathroom. Well, but that doesn't happen until Sam uses Sam hypnotizes Jemima. Right. Sorry, I was getting that confused. Yeah. So after they talk, after Friday talks Jemima off the roof, they go to find Harriet, and she's dead. <laughs> um, we have another murder on our hands. Um. And we also have another clue because in her collar is the handkerchief that was wrapped around Samuel's portrait. And then wrapped inside of it is the other half of the collar pin that they found at the scene of the crime. Again, I don't think the handkerchief was necessary, but whatever. I I think it, it confirms that Harriet was sort of obsessed with Samuel's, I guess. I guess. Yeah. Um. So then Samuel's comes in to check on Harriet um, with his aggressive lawyer um, and... Edward starts yelling at Samuels once he realizes that Harriet's dead. Again, really just at this point, I don't think he's acting as well. It's like a little bit of a like desperate accusation, but. Um, but he just murdered her. Yeah. Like he literally he, just murdered her. It's just like all the straw, like so unexpected that she's dead. And you're just like, you did it though. It's not unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> you knew exactly what happened but it, it is a little contrived he's like my poor harriet which i don't think that's how i would react to the very unexpected death of a sibling you know no. i think i would yeah anyway um so then down at the morgue they discover that harriet was poisoned with the same with strychnine which was the same uh poison that killed victoria broadford and again i don't think we ever get an explanation of how victoria died or if she was murdered um, no explanation. No. But we do find out that the bottle that Samuels used to make the tonic was harmless. Like, it was the correct concentration of strychnine, which means that someone added a lethal dose to the glass that Harriet ultimately took. Um, so then Friday thinks that Jemima Knight might know because of what she told her on the roof. Um, and it's like, well, maybe we can hypnotize her to unlock this unhappy memory, which seems very ethical. <laughs> Yeah, well, Jack points it out. He's like, so we're having our prime suspect interview a witness now. Yeah. Um, This is why Jack lets the private detective take the lead on this, because I don't think the police would probably um, be okay with that tactic. But 
So back at Prudence's house, they have Samuel's hypnotized Jemima. And so this is where she reveals that Betsy was shocked by what Harriet was doing in the bathroom with a man. And she says, Betsy didn't tell me who the man was, but I watched them through the door. And before she says who it was, Samuels pulls her out of her hypnotic trance and says he can't push her anymore. Uh, But Franny's like, that's okay. I know already what we're looking for. I just need to make sure. So this is where she sets Bird up to confront Edwards with the tie pin when he arrives at Aunt Prudence's. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's mine. So he must not have realized that he had dropped him the scene of the crime. Again, these people, they're just dropping clues everywhere. I don't know. If I committed a murder and then later noticed that I was no longer wearing some jewelry, some mulery that I'd put on earlier that day, I would be like, fuck, I've left clues behind as to my presence at the scene of a crime. But whatever. Anyways. Um, also nice, nice plugging of your, your brand on that one. Again, (laughs) mealry.com. You have to go get that website. I'm just going to check right now. (laughs) Mealry.com. What if it really is a website selling jewelry for men? It probably Uh, is. Then let's see if we can get them to sponsor the podcast before we plug them so many times. (laughs) Oh my God. Um, I'm checking. Hold on. Please stand by. I forgot how to spell jewelry for a second. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I can buy it for like $3,000, the domain. Worth it. Definitely worth it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> You're going to have to sell very expensive mulery. <laughs> well, only the best for my muleried men. Solid gold. <laughs> diamonds. Um, right. So then... Back at the station, um, Harriet, so we they bring Edwards in for questioning. Um, so they sort of confront him with this theory of the case that they're working up, that Harriet had told Edwards that Betsy was blackmailing her, and so he knew that she was um, giving Betsy the percussor, so he arrives early for his appointment with Samuels to sabotage the percussor. Um, so then they, they produce the collar pin and say that he killed the birds and then he sort of breaks and it's like, yes, that was my, that was, um, I gave her the birds. And then Harriet was saying that she'd tell Samuels every, everything. So that's when he kind of snapped and poisoned the tonic. Um, which I guess, I guess is that he knew about the, that that would poison her from the Victoria Broadford case. So, um, I think that's the connection. Again, I don't think Victoria Broadford was murdered, but we never find out for sure. And uh, he just kept this poison like in his breast pocket at all times, just in case he needed it. Like, wh- no, no, why no, did I, he have it? I don't think he had it. I think he knew that it would, if he added more strychnine to the solution, it would kill her. Uh, okay. And he just took it out of that little cabinet in the yeah. doctor's office. I guess it, but they say like the solution in that bottle wasn't enough to kill her. And there, there was like other bottles in the medicine cabinet and he just picked one of them and added it somehow knowing that that bottle was strychnine. Why would Samuels have that in his medicine cabinet, though? So he can make more of his pain medicines. Well, I guess so. OK. Yeah, I mean, it was like the concentrated version and, and he diluted it for his his like remedies. But the concentrated version was still in there. They don't really explain that. But the point is that Edwards murdered Harriet. Indeed. Um, so he gets really angry and it's like saying that Harriet had started questioning their relationship, um, when she started working for Samuels and he's like, it wasn't wrong to me. And it's like, just very Game of Thrones, um, just like if, 
Why? If you don't, why did he not try to kill Dr. Samuels as opposed to killing his sister? Just like, why did you kill this person that you said that you loved because some other person was making her question your relationship? Kill the person who's making your question the relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. Because also I feel like they sort of shoehorn him into not just like murderer and incestuous person, but he's like an abuser who's like, if I can't have her, nobody can, you know, which is very quickly. Yeah, it's not it's not established that he's abusing her. So it's a bit it's all a bit muddled. Yes. Yeah, we could have cut out a few things. Like, I mean, we didn't need to establish that he knew what Strychnine was with this whole other murder. <laughs> yeah, Did we? It's, it's a lot. He no. could have, just by virtue of having a bunch of doctor clients, known what Strychnine yeah. was. Yeah, I, I think it was supposed to be a red herring also to make mm-hmm. Samuel seem more mm-hmm. suspicious, which was unnecessary because there were so many other red herrings. <laughs> Yes. Also, he seems suspicious just on virtue of like his suit and his beard and his glasses and the fact that he was a psychologist treating female hysteria. Yeah. And his patent medicines and his use of hypnosis. <laughs> right. There's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of things not to like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it was the incestuous, crazy brother who committed the murders. So. Indeed. That's that is what it is. So then back at Aunt Prudence's, um, (laughs) we get a nice little humorous scene of the eager constable asking for Dot's help because Dolores has predictably locked herself in the police car with no clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) So good on Dolores for just for getting that um, naked confrontation with a police in, which I think was what she was after all along. (laughs) And yeah. if there if there's a deleted scene of that, I want to see it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Um, and then Samuels is packing up and heading to Switzerland, and Jemima, disappointingly, is going with him as an assistant instead of going to work for Dr. Mac, which is just the tragedy of this episode, among Indeed. many other tragedies. <laughs> um, Including and two then, murders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But not, more but, but not limited to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then before they leave, though, there's a little surprise for Aunt Prudence in the parlor. So they have sort of this memorial to Arthur that's really sweet and makes me cry every time I watch this episode, even though I've watched this episode many times. Um, but they sing his favorite song and they have his favorite snacks. And Prudence is finally seeming to to openly grieve Arthur with Burton's help. Yeah, that scene gets me right in the feels. I always oh, cry. I always cry every time. That song is just so. I looked it up. It's like a very popular World War One song. So mm. it makes me think that only three of the actors actually can sing because <laughs> there's a lot of people there who are not singing, and it's just Franny and Bert and the doctor. And, and it kind of just was thinking to myself, can the rest of them not carry a tune? Is that why they're not allowed to sing in this scene? Well, well so Seth it's actually is actually Seth. a band. Yeah. It's Seth who's singing. And he, yeah, oh, he is sorry. a band. Yeah. yeah. He, like, he yeah. is a singer, actually, yeah. in addition to yeah. being an actor. But then I guess, like, the other ones have some good skills. And the rest of them were just like, well, nope, sorry. The rest of you <laughs> d- just can't really sing that well. So you sit well, quietly and cry. Well, also, Samuels is supposed to be surprised by this. He's because like they're like, could you join us in the parlor? And he's like, oh, I'll just step up and sing this song. Surprisingly that I know. 
Well, I think it was a popular song. Yeah. Like, it's realistic right. that he would have known it. All right. So, do you know what is interesting, ready for my Googling information, is that <laughs> the pies, the scallop pies, are, are probably out of sync with the time frame. What? So, okay, the dark horse. This is what you Googled. I've been waiting the whole episode to find out what it was. It was the scallop pies. It was I the know. food. Obviously, I Googled the food. <laughs> I never would have guessed it. I never would have guessed it. Yeah, I never would have guessed it. Uh, so, there actually, so there is a version that's like original to Australia, but specifically Tasmania, although it was somewhat, eventually somewhat popular in areas around Melbourne where the show is set, like Apollo Bay. Um and it's scallops, like the seafood, with white sauce, curry powder, and a flaky pastry. So sounds good to me. Um, and they do sort of date from, like, the 1800s. Like, they certainly existed. But they didn't really become popular until, like, the 40s or 50s is when you really started to see them be, more like, offered in bakeries and all over the place and be this pretty staple food. So, I mean, it's possible that they were his favorite food and that he was, like, an you know an early trendsetter of the scallop pie but they weren't really according to my google research very popular at this time frame show is set that is fascinating mm-hmm. i'm gonna so, admit that i picture them as scalloped potatoes in pie form I, <laughs> the seafood so I go through like a lot of stuff because you were just getting like these all these different options so there are like scottish and irish versions of this but this is the australian version is actual sea scallops Huh. huh. Well, oh, I was wondering about that because, like, whenever we have scallops, I look, I can't imagine baking them into a little pie because they're so expensive. <laughs> like, we just, like, sear them, you know, and then when I'm eating the scallop, every bite, I'm like, this is a dollar fifty going into my mouth right now. Because <laughs> they're like, you know, they're usually like $30 a pound or something, but maybe not back before they were overfished in the 20s. And Prudence was rich, so. That's true. Um, so then we get the last, like, s- such a great scene between <laughs> Jack and Friday, where she's pressing him for more details about that Chinese brothel raid that he had promised to tell her about earlier. And then she's like, do I need to put you on the couch and psychoanalyze you? And he says, perhaps another time in a more intimate setting. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. <laughs> to which I would say... Get a room, you two, already. And it will be such a long time. <laughs> oh, no spoilers. No spoilers. Um, yeah, that's my last note for the episode is just all caps, perhaps another time in a more intimate setting. <laughs> yeah, I wrote cycle analyze you on a couch, 12 out of 10. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. All right, well. That's the episode. Do you want to do your murder recap on the fly? Okay. This is, this is totally off the cuff, but all right. So Harriet and her brother um, are in an incestuous relationship, um, which is a longstanding little deal between the two of them. But then Harriet goes to work for a famous psychologist, Dr. Samuels, who also hires her brother as his lawyer. And once she starts working for him, she starts rightly so, I might add, questioning her relationship with her brother and threatening to um, to end it. So Edwards, the brother, is on high alert and um, also 
finds out from Harriet that one of the patients of Dr. Samuels, Betsy, has been blackmailing her, knows about the relationship, and has been blackmailing her for use of this precursor um, by that has been created by Dr. Samuels' partner, <laughs> Perkins. Um, meanwhile, Betsy has told Jemima, her, like, her friend who also thinks that she's her mother, um, about... Harriet and her brother and Jemima goes to watch them in the bathroom. So also knows about them. Um, but since Edwards knows that Harriet has been giving Betsy the precursor, he comes early one day, sabotages the precursor so that it electrocutes Betsy when she uses it. Um, then Perkins, who has created the precursor, figures out that's how she died somehow. I don't know how he figured out that she was dead before anyone else. Um, since Prudence arrives on the scene very early on. Um, but maybe Prudence doesn't see the precursor, and it's there when Prudence comes, but is gone by the time Franny arrives. Um, That's so what Perkins, I assumed. Yes, I think that, that must be it. So Perkins comes once the body has been discovered, figures out how she died, comes to remove the evidence because he doesn't want his device to look bad. Um, and then as things unfold and the precursor is discovered as the... A murder weapon and Jemima reveals that she probably knows something about this. Um, Edwards becomes more desperate and um, it's all just, it's all just closing in around him. Harriet is again, threatening to sell Samuels everything. So Edwards um, poisons her medicinal tonic, kills her only after he kills the lovebirds that he gave her, proving himself to be a, not a double murderer, but a quadruple murderer, because let us not forget that he killed those birds. Mm. Ugh, abuses and murders women and animals. Right, not a good birds. guy. <laughs> That's my murder recap. Did I miss anything? I didn't write that down. That was just from my brain. <laughs> Unclear, but I'm sure someone will tell us on Instagram if you did. Okay, please do. <laughs> this is not my best murder recap, I admit it. That was a convoluted murder. All right, well, so shall we to the ratings? Yes, you guys start, though, because I also didn't do those, so that's also going to be on the fly. (laughs) Unbelievable. Okay, uh, best outfit of the week. Sarah? Well, I had a a few that I thought were good, like when Dolores is in the driveway taking off all her clothes. (laughs) I liked Dolores' dress. And then in the uh, hypnosis flashback, when uh, Jemima sees... Harriet, Harriet? Sleep, uh, sleeping with her brother. I also really liked Harriet's dress in that scene. Mm. Um, so those two were like ones that I I would I was like, oh, I I'd probably wear that. Um, <laughs> and then the one that I thought was perhaps the most eye catching though was uh, Franny's red dress coat, like full length dress coat with the like gray slacks. And then when she's out there on the porch during that hypnosis season, she has those like big sunglasses on. I was just like, wow, that outfit screams, I'm rich. <laughs> I love those sunglasses. I was like, so yeah, I kind of like this look. I mean, I would never wear it, but I like this look. Oh, yeah. It's actually a really good episode for outfits, I thought, because I had more than one, too. Um, so I actually, for first, my first choice was Jemima's white dress that she wears where she's about to jump off of the roof of the house. It's like this very flowy, like floral embroidered. Like I think it's organza. I just really like it. And then also there's like a burnout velvet jacket that Franny wears in the final scene that I really like a lot. Um, Yeah. Or the blue dress that she threatens to take off in the driveway. So I also really like that polka dot red um, jacket that she wears with the slacks. 
Um, but I think my, I'm going to have to go with the hat that she's wearing that Jack holds. The hat that she's wearing with the blue outfit. Um, it's I, obviously the full outfit, but I, I particularly like the hat because it has like the feathers in the back that kind of come forward. Worst outfit. Uh, I had a hard time picking one because I thought they were mostly good. I thought the dresses that they wore in the opening scene for the dance were, they looked a little cheap. Like they were supposed to be silk, but they just bought like a cheap knockoff. Yeah, that's all I got. I definitely had Harriet's suit with the drop like the yeah right (laughs) i feel like my complaint in the later seat like later part of the series is just that dot just gets such drab and bummer outfits (laughs) and i don't i feel like dot dressed better early on and then got more and more boring and then ugly and then just horrible clothing options and i don't know if they just like didn't have the budget to get her nice things or what their statement about that was but i didn't like any of dot's outfits basically i haven't liked any of dot's outfits in a long time yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. I don't know what happened to Dot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dot. Sort of a chronic problem for Dot. Yeah. Um, uh, best week. I had a hard time choosing. Ultimately, Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I just think it's women everywhere because the precursor has finally arrived. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hard agree. Hard agree. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Prudence because she finally gets help with her insomnia and has a little, you know, she makes some progress on her grief for Arthur, which I think is a really important thing for her. Mm-hmm. Worst week. Wait, Sarah, did you have a different best week besides women everywhere? No, that's my best. <laughs> All right. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Um, so I actually had Aunt Prudence for worst week because there's like a murder committed in her house and then there's all this just upheaval, which I, I don't think she likes, you know, it seems like she'd rather just have a quiet evening playing cards, listening to the radio. Mm, yeah. Uh, I would say that uh, Bert and Seth are having a tough week. They're not doing very well at their job. Like they were supposed <laughs> to spy for Miss Fisher Like they really, there's like a moment of redemption at the end where he like does pull off the trick with the brother murderer incestuous Edwards, where he gets him to admit it's his like tie pin or whatever. But other than that, they're just like not doing great. Yeah, I feel like they only included them in the episode for contractual reasons or something. (laughs) Um, worst week, I would say Dr. Littleton. Because his daughter just runs off with the other doctor, his rival doctor that he doesn't respect. True. Yeah. Despite his best efforts to keep her in the country. She's literally going to Switzerland. He's like a total jerk, so I don't feel bad for him having a bad week. Fair Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. Well, it wouldn't be the first time we chose someone for worst week who perhaps didn't deserve any sympathy. But (laughs) Uh, murder method? Oh, like 9.99. 100 <laughs> i mean obviously this is a high ranking for me uh, otherwise i would not have picked this episode to guest appear on so it's like <laughs> probably a couple thousand out of ten um i did i initially wrote down 100 but i would like to now uh amend my rating to 11 because that vibrator went to 11 <laughs> which was of course the kill setting <laughs> Uh, skill of the week? Botany. She was able to identify that plant. Mm-hmm. Is 
no easy feat. That's true. That is that's a good one. That didn't occur to me. I put like um uh hostage striptease, like she was holding the situation <laughs> hostage by strip teasing. Mm-hmm. There might be a better word for that, but that, that's what I picked. That is a skill. Maybe I should own that skill. <laughs> a very advanced hostage negotiation skill. <laughs> if no, nothing else works, just take your clothes off. <laughs> um, I would say like talking someone down from suicide. That is definitely a skill that she exhibits. Sexual tension. Oof. Um, I did give it a 7.5 just because, you know, I mean, it is high, but we do, we have seen higher, especially in mm-hmm. this season of the show. Mm-hmm. So. I still gave it a 12 out of 10, just for really that last. <laughs> <laughs> where she's basically saying, I'll put you on a couch and psychoanalyze you in an intimate setting. I feel like yeah. it's really ratcheting up the tension. Yeah. You're right. And it is, I mean, it it's, represents a new era of Jack inviting her attention, whereas previously he's only been uncomfortable with it. So. Yeah, I mean, he's just really leaning into it this episode. <laughs> Lean on in, Jack. <laughs> Lean in. Uh, I put it at nine for that reason. Okay. Yeah, maybe I was, maybe I was lowballing. All right. I think that that wraps us up. Yeah. Rather lengthy episode. You'll have to cut that down. (laughs) Good luck, Mackenzie, on editing that. Or we just release it to our episode. I think our listeners will like it. They might. Then what else are they doing? Stay in your houses, guys. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Stay home. Listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, Well, thanks for coming on, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Oh, and next time we'll be talking season three, episode six. Death at the Grand. Ooh, I love that one. Love oh, Walt. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, um, I cannot wait. Literally for all the remaining episodes, I cannot wait for. So, yeah. Well, well, stay then. tuned. Stay tuned, listeners. Okay. Every lady needs a hobby. Oh. That didn't work. <laughs> don't don't I usually do that? <laughs> yes, but you maybe we should it. maybe we should switch it up. It feels weird. It's like when you cross your fingers the other way. I also know I don't think I realize that you always said it first. No, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. In my mind, we switch off. <laughs> we don't. <laughs>